so yes we're recording and this is another episode of Dowcast and I'm super happy because we're finally talking uh, with Aragon. Uh, Luis is here uh, and the idea is that uh, we go a bit over the, the, the their new release, their new product release, which is not only, they didn't release only a new product, but a whole design system, which uh, I found very interesting and might be cool to talk about that as well. Uh, but also talk about Aragon as a whole, as a as a project or as an organization, as a as a an ecosystem of organizations that is emerging, uh, and see what is popping up in that in that environment. So, thank you, Luis, for being here and and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I was thinking about this conversation earlier today and. One thing that I thought would be interesting is that we start by knowing a bit about yourself and how you got into blockchain and and then DAOs uh, in the first place before we jump into into Aragon. Yeah, sure. So I I got into the open source ecosystem uh, when I was very young. I was about uh, 12 years old when I got into it. And it was amazing to me that there was this uh, free software and open source community with, uh, which had people just working for the, for the common good with no expectation of profit. It was like this uh, kind of post-capitalistic uh, smell and, and I really liked that. Mm. Um, and so I got into it. I got into the Linux community. And then around 2011, it was when the economic crisis uh, hit Europe and uh, in particular Spain, uh, where I'm from. And so that was, that was terrible. That was terrible time. So I was like about 14 or 15 and, uh, and seeing the whole economy freeze down so much and seeing all these struggles uh, from my friends and my family and all of that. It was, it was very hard moments. And around those, uh, those days, it was when I really got into Bitcoin. Um, I, I first read about Bitcoin in, 20, uh, no, in 2009, but then I thought it was kind of a scam or something like that. <laughs> Um, and so in 2011, I read about it again, uh, and I read the whole white paper. Then I was like, wow, this is so powerful. This can really free society from, uh, from you know, economic um, slavery. And uh, back in the day, it was primarily banks who were doing this economic slavery in, in Spain because of the crisis and the, and all the mortgages and all of that. So I, I thought it was, you know, uh, Bitcoin could save so many people from this uh, slavery of the 21st century. Cool. And then how did that develop into, into your interest for DAOs and then Aragon as a project? Uh, I guess there was some meeting of people um, that came together as a team. Yeah, it was, uh, I got into Bitcoin, but then uh, Bitcoin is very powerful for economic freedom, but it didn't fully, um, it didn't fully click to me until I, uh, I thought about decentralized organizations, which is, you know, you like Bitcoin brings you this uh, sovereignty over um, basically money and store of value, which is very, very important. But I think we close the circle when we have decentralized organizations. And so there was this huge movement in also in Spain um, against, against banks and everything that was going on back in the day with the crisis. And I saw it uh, being, I saw it be creative and, and I saw it uh, come to an end as well. And, and it was very sad for me. And so I think with decentralized organizations, we can actually incentivize uh, these, um, these people. We can incentivize all society to actually come together and reach critical mass to really make a change. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, and so around 2016, I was uh, working with my co-founder Jorge on a, on a different uh, startup against the, the patent system. 
uh, which is also a huge problem in the US with all the patent trolls and people patenting stupid stuff. And at some point we realized, you know, it's not about the patent system. It's about the lobbies, it's about the government, it's about how the whole world doesn't know how to govern itself. Uh, and then Donald Trump won the elections when we were working on this uh, startup in the, in the US and Silicon Valley. And uh, obviously as immigrants uh, in the US, we were pretty shocked. And so um, we thought, you know, we have to do something to change this. Like governance in the world is not working. So we need to work on something. And then Aragon came to, came to life. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I, I look at Aragon and I cannot uh, run away from the symbolism of it. It's in its own name, right? Uh, maybe you can you can tell us a bit more about that and and yeah f- the the few times that I've been to Spain I I could really feel that there is a, a different sense of of freedom in the in, in in that country I guess because it's a country that that is well originally it, it used to be many different regions right that were autonomous and independent um, so how how do how does that come into the the, the being of Aragon as a project. Yeah, so you're right. The, the name has a lot of symbolism behind it. And so a lot of people think that Aragorn comes from Aragorn, Aragorn from the Lord of the Rings, but it doesn't, that, that's not the case. Uh, it doesn't come from that. It comes from uh, Aragon, which is a, a place in Spain. Um, it's one of the regions of Spain. And the reason why uh, we call it that way is because in the, in the 19th century, it was one of the uh, main places in the world which was experimenting with anarchism. And so there was this community of 100k people that were fully sovereign and fully uh, self-organized without any kind of government or top-down authority. And, and, and that was uh, actually lasted like uh, some years until basically, you know, this everything always happens with this kind of movements, like people with guns go in and, and then the party's over. Um, but it was, it, was really, it was really a crazy time and actually Orwell wrote about it and it was uh, in his reference as one of the main uh, anarchist uh, movements that, that happened. Uh, they don't teach you this in school, uh, in Spanish school, uh, but it, it, it happened. I see. Yeah. Cool. And, and how is that being translated? How that spirit is being translated into technology uh, through, through the Aragon project? Uh, how is that coming to materialization? Yeah, I think decentralized organizations uh, empower both the the micro the micro level like you know two people that want to organize across to, like two different countries or uh, across borders so for example like i, I was the example of like someone in argentina wanted to do business with someone in iran like today the crazy restrictions would basically make it impossible with aragon they can span out a decentralized organization and start collaborating almost immediately so that's that's really great and also the macro level, I think most of the interesting DAOs that we're going to see are DAOs that are going to be open, so anyone will be able to join them. Um, and so they can be DAOs to uh, incentivize people to fight against climate change. They can be DAOs to incentivize people to uh, dethrone dictators. Uh, we can do a lot of these things with these huge uh, kind of uh, DAOs that can have a lot of crypto economic systems to incentivize people to work together. So that's, that's how I think everyone can, can help bring that change. Listening to you, I get curious about your your kind of like internal model or framework of a DAO. Uh, so you, you've given hints of it, of what a DAO can do, allowing people to collaborate over borders in a decentralized fashion. But 
in its essence, how do you see it? Like, what what does a DAO mean to you as as a maybe a symbolic entity uh, of sorts? I think the term DAO is actually uh, very technical, and a lot of users don't really understand it. Like, I, I try to use a couple of different terms to describe it to users. One of them is uh, smart organization, uh, very similar to like smartphones, um, and the other one is a software-defined organization or a programmable organization. I think that's the core difference. Like, uh, for me, a DAO is an organization that is mainly powered by code. Um, and that uh, that code you can ensure that is trustlessly run. So there is no MongoDB behind it. There is no single database that anyone can trick uh, to change the rules of the game. So for me, that's a DAO. I don't see DAOs as, uh, for example, necessarily being an open organization. They can be, I think they can be uh, a closed one. Uh, so for example, Aragon One, the uh, the development company, uh, the main development company for Aragon, um, it basically runs as a DAO, but it's just my co-founder and me that are making most of the decisions, but it was still a DAO, like there is still assets on chain. So that, for me, that's also a DAO, um, but there are DAOs that are open. For example, the DAO was an, an open DAO. You could buy a token and participate in it. Um, but I see it very in a very wide spectrum, not, not only as open DAOs, uh, uh, I see it as basically any kind of smart contract powered organization. I see, I see. So one thing that that I've every now and then I I keep thinking about in regards to DAOs and it relates to all of the conversations that I've had in the show is what well, is the, the the idea that DAOs as as what well, smart organizations as you're putting they allow for different kind or, or new forms of interaction between people right and they even allow for a new understanding of what an organization means in its assets right. Uh, nonetheless, what I've seen in some experimentations with DAOs that I've taken part of is that people still come with a lot of baggage uh, in, of what an organization is or what it means to be part of an organization. And then they kind of like reproduce certain patterns of behavior or certain patterns of meaning in that kind of new environment, making that new environment not so innovative as it could be. Um, I wonder if that's something that, that you've seen in your experience with DAOs and, and if there's any sort of, uh, I don't know, technological uh, nudge that can be used to mitigate that or, or maybe a soft uh, technology nudge that also can be used by that. Yeah, I, th I think people are very interested in crypto, especially in the US and uh, in Europe with uh, a lot of regulations around uh, the SEC and around which kind of tokens you create and which kind of interactions you create. And they, they mostly base their assumptions around that legal framework. And I think one of the most uh, revolutionary things that DAOs allow uh, participants to do is they can, they can become, uh, become pseudonymous and they can still interact with DAOs. So I think um, once we see more pseudonymous DAOs, uh, which I'm surprised we haven't seen more of that, I think we're going to see true experimentation as opposed to now, which is it's hard to experiment when like you still have the chance to like be thrown in jail. So I, I, I get it. Like a lot of participants, they don't want to participate in a lot of DAOs or experiment with them. But once people start being uh, more pseudonymous and once we start having more privacy technology, I think experimentation is going to bloom. 
that's curious. Uh, you you mentioned the anarchist communities and how they often end when people with guns come in. It's kind of like the same now, <laughs> uh, in the sense that <laughs> well, we we have governments with not guns but threats coming in. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so yeah, back to back to Aragon. How is it now? Um, structure as an ecosystem. So you mentioned Aragon mm-hmm. on. Uh, I know of Aragon Black. Uh, then there's, yeah. there's Aragon Project. How is that? What's the overall map there? Yeah. So instead of just having Aragon as one company that that grows uh, and hires a lot of people, we wanted to decentralize development of the ecosystem because I think that's very important. Like decentralized governance is one side of of the same coin as decentralized development. So. For me, having a diverse um, ecosystem of, of teams and people that are contributing to the core stack and the core software makes a lot of sense. So there is no dependency on one single team. And so um, we tried to start experimenting with that. And right now, there are three teams working on the core Aragon infrastructure. Uh, the, the foundational one is Aragon One, which is the one that I work for. But then there is Aragon Black, which is very focused on Aragon fundraising, which is basically the ecos on Aragon. And then there's another team called OTAR, which is focused on open enterprise, which is their take on basically open organizations uh, using Aragon with a lot of like bounties, um, allocations, different groups of, groups of people that can decide how to allocate funds. So that's, that's right now how it is a structure. And then there's the Aragon Association, which is the legal entity that basically oversees the whole project and makes sure that the funds are well spent. Um, and, and actually, its goal is a very interesting goal. The Aragon Association, uh, its goal is to basically wind itself down. So that's an, it is not needed anymore, right? So like to nurture the ecosystem until the point in which that central point of failure can basically dissolve, transfer all the funds it has to the network, and then disappear. Right, yeah. That's, that's going to be one of, a, one of a big milestone, right? Are any of these organizations currently incorporated? Yeah. Yeah, right now, like for example, Aragon One, it's a it's a company in Switzerland. So we, as I was saying, like we still use a DAO for a bunch of things, like finance management, um, also just uh, stuff like accounting. Uh, like our accountant goes to our DAO to like export uh, a CSV file and basically get the accounting directly from our DAO. Oh, nice. uh, so, but yeah, we're still like kind of bridging a little bit that world, right? Uh, right. So like in, in the case of Aragon One, we're like a very traditional team. We like employ people full time with a payroll. Uh, there are other teams that are less structured and they work more on like bounties or stuff like that. Uh, but the cool thing about how we structure the whole um, system is that we can have like super diverse kind of teams. Uh, so one of them can be very traditional, one of them can experiment a lot and it's fine. I see, I see. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, and and then do you are there are there many many projects within this ecosystem? So organizations that are using the Aragon technology uh, already. Yeah, yeah. There is um, uh, there are some examples. For example, there is a uh, there is Melonport. They worked on this uh, protocol for asset management. And they recently decided to basically wind down their legal entity and transition everything into a DAO. And so they have this uh, technical committee that can execute smart contract upgrades to the protocol. And so that's like an Aragon DAO uh, that they are using for that. There are other cases. For example, there is uh, there are a couple DAOs that are using it for uh, like development and allocating funds uh, to the development of the protocol or the app. So there was this app called uh, Pull Together. 
which is basically like a, a kind of loose lottery using, um, I think they use something like a compound or something like that. Mm. So, um, and, and the way it works, like a, a very small percentage goes to an Argon DAO and then basically uh, they fund development that way. And I think also there is this other protocol called um, RDAI, which is one of the DAI derivatives that uh, have been popping up lately, which does the same thing. Uh, and then um, RDAI, um, like uh, token holders can decide how to spend those funds for development. So um, I think we are seeing a lot of like crypto adoption because it makes a lot of sense to decentralize development and, and also governance of these protocols. Like I think a lot of decentralized finance right now is actually not that decentralized. And so mm -hmm. I think it's, it's very cool that they are using Argon DAOs to actually become decentralized. For sure, for sure. And I'm also recalling here, I think one of the first uh, partnerships you announced was with District OX, right? where all districts there would be Aragon entities. Is that still yeah. going on? And, and are there are there districts nowadays running with, with Aragon powered by it? Yeah I, think, yeah, I think they are undergoing, still undergoing audits in the smart contracts, but they actually started working on this, I think a couple of months ago, if I recall correctly. So that should be launching very soon, finally. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, that's one project I'm very, very curious about. We're actually interviewing them next week or so. Okay. Nice. Cool. Yeah. And now, now, yeah. Let's see what you what you've got uh, in terms of, of, of news. You've just uh, released Aragon uh, 0.8 Camino, which which is way in in Spanish, right? Uh, yeah. I I played with it a little bit. I so as I mentioned, uh, Daocast is is trying to Daoify itself, um, and it's been it's been challenging process because as an initiator of Dowcast, I don't want to be the one deciding which tool we're going to use, what, you know, all of the parameters and all. So it takes some time, but I, I created an organization there just to play around with it. Um, and it's, it's very, the, the, the user experience is very uh, smooth overall. I think that's something that you guys have always tried to do. Um, and then the whole dashboard as a whole uh, seems intuitive. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, I, I don't feel too much of a gap with, with current technology as we, as we are used to, right? I, I imagine that's intentional. Uh, I, I also, unfortunately, I couldn't really feel the power of it because I was mostly playing with it by myself. <laughs> you, <laughs> in a DAO, <laughs> that's not the yeah. idea. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the improvements there and, and what's new. Uh, and also the, the Aragon DS, uh, which I think is, is pretty cool. Yeah, sure. So yeah, you're right. Like Camino was basically a, a release that was very focused on design. I think a lot of the products that we're building in the crypto ecosystem are great for crypto users, but we still have a long way to reach uh, the mainstream. And so we were trying to give some baby steps to actually actually do that. Um, and so, and so basically, uh, yeah, as you can see there, like the, the user interface is so, so easy. Like it's big buttons, uh, everything is very cohesive. Something interesting about Aragon is that um, you can build your own apps. And so if you want to extend what your organization can do, you can install apps that other developers have created. And so mm. we see it as an ecosystem for apps. So you can customize and create any kind of organization by installing and uh, configuring those apps. And so. Uh, what we want to make sure is that by doing that, we don't break 
user experience and consistency. So we came up with this design system and set of uh, UI components that you can basically use to create an application. So if you go to any application there, it feels like a native app, although there may be third-party apps uh, that mm. are actually created by developers. And so and that, that's the goal that we have with, with Aragon, to be this platform so you can configure your own organization as you see fit. Mm-hmm. And so we invested a lot of time into, into design and also stuff like, for example, email notifications. So when there's a vote, you can see like, you know, uh, there was a vote initiated and you receive an email. Things that, that users are, are, are used to in the web 2.0 world, but uh, unfortunately in the, in the decentralized world, we haven't figured that out yet. So we're trying to take those steps. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm trying to load here as we speak, but my connection is not the greatest today. It might be that why it's not <laughs> loading so much. Um, and I've seen that the, there are some other organizations. Uh, I, I managed to go inside some of them yesterday with the interface. Uh, one Hive was one of them. And, mm. and take a look at the activity going on there and, and the different kind of tokens. And one thing that I saw inside one Hive is that they have two different tokens. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, one is called B and, and the other one is, well, I don't remember now, but I, I was curious about what, what, what are the economics within, uh, Aragon organizations and, and what kind of things you can experiment with inside other than reputation, uh, what sort of tokens you can have. Yeah, you can basically uh, customize what we call permissions. Permissions are like the bylaws of the organization. So uh, you can say, for example, there's going to be three different tokens. And then the token holders from the first token can actually um, create votes on this voting app. And this voting app has permission to mint the tokens on the the second uh, class of tokens, for example. And then Mm. there may be another class of tokens that actually allows them to withdraw uh, money from the the finance app of the organization. So you can really get crazy with these governance models. And I think that's the cool part of Aragon is that Mm -hmm. you can basically build any governance model that you dream of by configuring permissions and installing different apps. So we have seen stuff like uh, like councils, like committees, Melon Port is using it that way. They have this um, the Melon token, and then Melon holders can choose their technical council, and this technical council can see yes, upgrades to the protocol. And so that's very simple to do on Aragon, but you can get really crazy. And you can have like a bicameral system with a time delay uh, and, and bring it crazy. Um, mm. That would be actually very cool to like replicate some of the uh, world democratic systems um, on Aragon by using these apps. Right, right. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you, Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that it's it's that. So from from what I'm understanding, is that related to the to the uh, to the agents uh, within Aragon? organizations um this this ability to to have modular economies uh within the organization or are the agents something more related to how you interact with outside applications Mm -hmm. or outside organizations even perhaps other DAOs, even from other ecosystems yeah, yeah, exactly. As an intro for those uh, who don't know, there is this Aragon app called Aragon Agent, and basically uh, it's what represents your DAO while you interact with other uh, decentralized apps. So 
Um, how it works is that you can you can use this agent to, for example, open a CDP on Maker or a Lens on Die on Compound or in general do any kind of interactions in the decentralized web um, with your DAO. So that's the way it works. And then you can you can imagine something like, for example, you know, pulling money with your friends and then opening a CDP uh, from your DAO and then uh, distributing profits to all your friends, stuff like that. I see. I see. And I was wondering yesterday, as I was reading, I was reading about the agents. Uh, would it, would it, would that be a way for, let's say, an Aragon organization interact with a DAO stack organization or or with a colony organization? Mm -hmm. Would that kind of be the bridge where, let's say, an Aragon agent uh, may it, would it would it be able to hold a reputation within another DAO? If, if that's a token or would it be able to even have a set of agency as, as, as voting on, on proposals in other DAOs or, or am I, or am I not getting it right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With Aragon AM, you can, you can do all of that. You can basically do all of that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not super familiar with uh, DAO Stackware Colony and how it works, but you should be able to do it with any uh, Web3 application. I see. Yeah. That's very powerful. Well, at least I think so, because one of the things that for me, it's it's going to unleash a lot of good things in the entire DAO space is exactly inter, inter DAO's uh, interactions, right? Uh, especially DAOs from different ecosystems. Um, and I've had a call, I had a talk with, with uh, Colony or with, with people from Colony, and they described how a Colony entity could already interact with any other entity in any other ecosystem. And now I'm listening to that from you, so that's that's pretty exciting for me, uh, in the sense that it, perhaps we just need the incentive for that to happen, uh, and, and then seeing how the synergies could happen and, and, and what they can unleash. Uh, so developers out there, that might be something very interesting to to explore yeah. very nice very nice and i also took a look at the aragon ds and i was what 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 got me thinking when i was looking at that was how that design framework or design system how it should be interpreted interpreted by people developing applications within aragon as is, is that is there more of a guideline or does it impose also some constraints on on, on design uh, mm. perhaps that comes from my inexperience with design but I was curious to see that uh, mm. that kind of interplay especially in the long run right as, as things develop yeah. as the ecosystem develop yeah. Yeah, we, we took uh, inspiration from, I mean, Apple is the, the best example of uh, design guidelines and sort of like uh, design systems for, for apps and ecosystems. So the, the way it works is uh, you have very clear guides on when to use components and which user experience patterns to use. And of course, that has some trade-offs, like you cannot, um, you cannot do whatever you want, basically. I mean, you can, but then users are going to be disappointed because the experience is going to be different. So ideally, you stick to the guideline, and then basically the user doesn't uh, differentiate a native app from a non-native app. But of course, developers have the last word, so they can say, you know, I want to build my I own see. experience. Uh, mm -hmm. I see. I see. Yeah, and and then 
as of now, all of the native apps are being in the process of, of adopting that system, right? So, so and, and what are these native apps? I, I think that's also a good question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I when I see native apps, uh, there are basically just two native apps in the in the client. One of them is the permissions app. Uh, that's the one that lets you customize how the organization works, and the other one is like a sort of like settings app. Uh, and all the other ones, they are actually loaded from IPFS, and they are third-party apps. Um, there are three or four apps that are set by default, but basically they are as if they were third-party apps. Like there is no technical difference from those apps. Um, for, for the app that a third-party developer can see. I, I want to be mindful of time. So, yeah, so perhaps we can, we can walk towards a, an ending here. And I guess a good question for me would be, uh, what can we expect coming next uh, from Aragon in terms of not only technological improvements, but also ecosystem development? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're working on the on the Aragon network, which is going to be uh, first a uh, dispute resolution system for DAOs. So basically, you would be able to have dispute resolution natively in your DAOs, uh, so a decentralized court without having to resort to like a traditional court in the in the mid space. So we're working on that, and we want to launch that like Q4 slash Q1 next year. So that's going to be very very exciting, and that's going to allow DAOs to like do a bunch of things that. Uh, were not possible before because of the way smart content. Hi everyone. So as you could hear in this conversation, we had some connectivity issues and we also learning that a favela in Rio de Janeiro is not the quietest place on earth. So I apologize for the bad quality of this episode and also the background noise as the dog that you can hear. Eventually, my connection fell down and Luis could not finish his thoughts. Nonetheless, he was kind enough to send me a voice message talking a little bit more about the Aragon network. And I'm now adding it to this episode so we can hear what he had to say. Yeah, so I think the Aragon network is going to be very important for DAOs to be able to resolve disputes in a purely decentralized way. Because I think today a lot of the uncertainty around DAOs is that they cannot go out of their code in their smart contract and smart contracts don't know about all human subtleties. So I think this solution as the one we're used to in the traditional world is going to be very useful for these DAOs in the, in the Ethereum world. So I'm looking forward to that launching later this year. So this is it. Luis, thank you very much for having come into the show and giving us this great overview of Aragon. And thank you who listened to the end, despite the issues that we had during this episode. I hope you will tune in for the next one.